Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Tiva, and it is the last Tuesday of the month, which means it is a Q&A episode. And I have to say, it is a sick, sick, sick lineup of questions this week. Do I say that every month at the Q&A episode? I don't know. Maybe I do. But I honestly think this is a really strong series of questions. Okay, so I'm not going to waste too much time. Um, I do want to tell you guys, actually, before I get into the word of the week and then we do the questions, I do want to tell you a story because I think it really perfectly illustrates something. So something about me that you may or may not know from, you know, I have talked about it on the podcast is I can be a little bit crazy period. (laughs) End of story. We're done. (laughs) We're done for the week. We'll see you next week. No, Um, I can be a little bit crazy about losing things. It's something I'm very strangely triggered by. Like if I, do you know what it is? It's not even the thing that's lost that usually bothers me. It's the logic of it that will drive me crazy. Like if something, if I lose something and I can't explain how I lost it. Now, if I lost something and I can understand how it got lost, yeah, I might be sad about it, but it's not going to drive me crazy. Whereas if it gets lost in a situation where it doesn't make sense, it has to be somewhere, that shit will drive me up the wall. And I did tell this as the story on the podcast a long time ago, like a year and a half ago, about how my night guard was lost after the cleaning lady was here and the way that I full on lost my mind and I made her come over. I'm not proud of this at midnight and find it for no, no, no. She didn't come over at midnight. I called her at midnight. She came over the next morning before work and found it. But like I was losing my mind, not only because like I fucking love my night guard and I like cannot sleep without it and I do lose my mind if I don't have it, but also because it didn't make sense. It's not like the cleaning lady stole my night guard, you know, (laughs) like, A, I don't ever accuse her of stealing anything. B, the last thing in the world that she wants is the nasty ass piece of plastic that I put into my mouth every night and chew all over. Like that is, it is like, um, fuck, this would have been a sick joke if his name came to me quicker. What the fuck is the main guy on Golden State's name? Um, Steph Curry, Steph Curry. Have you guys seen, not to be a sports girly, like not to brag, but um, you want to like impress a dude who's into basketball, just make this reference. So Steph Curry, I guess basketball players wear protective mouth gear, which makes sense. And Steph Curry really chews the shit out of his mouth guard. Like it's honestly kind of disgusting. If you just watch him anytime the ball isn't actively in play, which is all the time because, you know, people call timeouts, there's commercial breaks, things like that. He will be like, he'll like pop it out with his tongue and just chew the shit out of the like I'm sure he changes mouth guards every single game because he just fully runs through it like it's literally disgusting anyway um yeah so I tend to really fucking lose it if I lose something especially if I can't explain how it's lost like it is it's truly one of my biggest triggers like it will drive me crazy and I will act like an animal so as you know, I was in Miami last week, which was amazing. Um, I do feel like I'm still recovering from Miami, though, because, listen, we were there for a week. We drank, like, 
five out of the seven and a half days that we were there. And I say we like it's unclear who I'm referring to because Ozzy, my boyfriend, was working (laughs) the first half of the time that I was there. So it's not really with him that I was doing all this drinking. Although the last two days, him and I drank together, the last two days were honestly so magical. Like it was just so much fun to be down there like in South Beach with him just having fun. But the beginning part of it, he was working. I was staying in his work hotel. And the first night that I was there, I met up with one of his coworkers' girlfriends who was also down there for the week. And we were going to go get a drink. And then he texted me and said some of his coworkers were going out to get a drink. He was working later than them. And so then we all met up. We ended up going to this like kind of pool hall kind of place. And I was wearing these earrings that I'm wearing right now that are my absolute favorite earrings. Like I think they're so chic. They're so classy. I think they instantly elevate any look. If you're not watching on video, they're just kind of um, plain, small gold hoops that are just really, really thick. And they're really, really heavy, which is important because I can really feel when they're in because they're so heavy. And I don't wear them for very long, again, because they are so heavy heavy. Like they are so fucking heavy. Um, and the back of the earring is extremely snug on it. Like it's not like they've never even come close to falling out or getting loose in part because maybe I don't wear them for that long. And in part, because like whatever, the back is on really tight. This is all important to the story. I promise. Okay. So we go to this pool place. We're having fun. We're ordering drinks, whatever. I'm being really fun, like really funny. You know, like those nights when you're on and you know that you're on and you know people are enjoying your presence. Like I was having so much fun, like the alcohol's hitting right and I'm being funny and like I, you know, I'm taking shots. I'm just like being like this cool, fun, vibrant girl. And I order some food, but it was so funny fun that I wasn't eating much. You, you know, the like those kind of nights where it's like you're not sitting out at a table. You're we were at a pool place. We were not playing pool. I don't know what the fuck we were doing, honestly, because I did drink quite a bit. And I even remember I, my second drink was a tequila shot, which like, you know, you're like off to a terrible start if that's how it goes down. But, you know, it's just going with the flow. I was having fun. Um, and, you know, the next day everyone's like, oh, you know, you got too drunk because you were mixing or because of this, because of that. I was like, no, we don't need to come up with all these excuses. I got really drunk because I drank too much. <laughs> That's it. Case closed. Like there is no, we don't need to dissect it here, guys. I just drank too much. That's it. Anyway, so we're drinking. I'm barely eating, whatever. I got absolutely hammered. I even remember at like maybe my third drink, I was like, Kiba, you're not going to be able to keep like you you have like one more drink two more drinks max in you before you are done 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 so you're going to need to slow it down and for some reason I, it's like I forgot that water existed. Like if I just remembered, because it's one of those, like, are you ever out and you keep drinking, not because you want to be drinking, but because you want to be doing something like with your hands, 
<laughs> do you know what I mean? Like that feeling. If I just remembered that water existed, I would have had a water in between all my drinks and all would have been fine. Anyway, I didn't. I barely ate because I was having too much fun. And um, and they didn't really have like a lot of vegan options. So it's not like I like really had tons of options and no one else was really eating. I guess like other people had eaten dinner or whatever, whatever. So we got back to the room. I don't remember anything, by the way. Actually, let me start here. I literally don't remember anything. I wake up the next morning with just like a bad feeling and like no memory. And it was it was disgusting. I was not a well girly, but I didn't remember even leaving the bar. Apparently what happened is we left the bar, came back to the hotel. We were hanging out at the hotel bar, zero recollection. And then I went up to that girl's room, the girl who's dating Ozzy's coworker, and we got high together. Don't remember any of that. Um, we recorded a whole video to send to our an other friend. Don't remember any of that. Here's my favorite part. So <laughs> I wake up the next morning and there's this gray t-shirt like near my stuff. And I was like, oh, and it kind of looks like this one um, Polaris, like from United Airlines t-shirt that I have that I wear all the time. <laughs> it's like the pajamas they hand out on international flights. I wear them all the time. And so it kind of looked like my Polaris shirt. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I didn't think I brought my Polaris shirt with me. And then I was like, wait, no, I did not pack my Polaris shirt. It must be one of Ozzy's t-shirts. And so like later, um, I actually grabbed it and I turned it inside out and it has a photo of like Bigfoot or some shit. I don't know. Or some kind of gorilla. I'm not entirely sure what the fuck is on it, but it's a really cute t-shirt. And I was like, that's so weird. I feel like I know all of Ozzy's clothes and I've never seen him in that shirt ever. And like, I literally know every article of clothing that he has. So that's kind of weird, but whatever. And it wasn't until Sunday. So this went down. This was Wednesday night, Thursday morning. It wasn't until Sunday. No, not even Sunday. Sorry. Monday morning that we're packing up that hotel room to go move to the beach. Um, this was when Ozzy was done with work that um, he like had he packed his suitcase, but he didn't pack that shirt. And so then I packed my suitcase and I left it out. I was like, oh, by the way, you didn't pack your shirt. And he's like, oh, that's not my shirt. And I was like, what? And he's like, no, it's not my shirt. And I was like, well, it's not my shirt. And he's like, how did it get in here? And I was like, I don't, I don't fucking know how the fuck this shirt got in here. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening. Like, I, I, you know, so we're just going back and forth. And it was around, like, it was on Sunday that I found out that I had gone back to this girl's room to smoke because like I said, literally zero recollection, none whatsoever. And so I'm like, okay, wait, wait, wait. I did go to this girl's room to smoke. I, maybe it's her shirt. Like, I don't need, cause he's like, where did it come from? Blah, blah. I was like, I don't, I don't know where it came from. Like I have as much information about this shirt as you do, but I know I did go to this girl's room on Wednesday night. So maybe I got it there. I mean, that is the type of thing that I would do. Like go hang out with someone, get cold, borrow their clothes. That sounds like me. And so I texted a photo of it to her and I was like, Hey, is this like you or maybe your boyfriend's shirt? And she's like, Oh my God, it's my boyfriend's shirt. We've been trying to find it all week. And I was like, well, it's in our room. And she's like, how did it get there? I was like, yo, your guess is as good as I need people to stop asking me questions about this t-shirt, guys. I don't know either, okay? <laughs> anyway, 
So yeah, messy, messy night. The next morning, Thursday morning, I wake up and one of these earrings is sitting on the dresser, the other, and just one. And so I'm like, oh my God, like, where's this other earring? These are my favorite earrings. Like, I really don't want to have lost it, like blah, blah, blah. And I just keep thinking about it. And then I'm like, well, here's the thing. I don't think I lost it because the back of these earrings is so secure. Like they've never fallen off ever. And the earrings are so heavy that even being that drunk, I think I would notice the instant one came out of my ear. And so I'm like, okay, it doesn't make sense. I'm searching everywhere. I'm searching all over the floor. I text Ozzy at work. I was like, hey, I hate asking you this, especially after I'm sure I acted like a full on psycho last night. But do you know anything about these earrings? Like, did I maybe mention it at any point last night? Was it like, oh my God, I lost an earring, anything like that? And he's like, no, nothing about an earring, blah, blah. And, you know, my instinct in these situations is to freak out, like blah, blah. But, you know, I just kind of look for it and then I'm like, okay, whatever, it'll turn up. And I just go about my week. And then on like Saturday or Sunday, I was doing a workout in the hotel room. Actually, I was doing the um, what's going to be the morning wind up for the nervous system course in the Blush Academy. So I've been doing it over and over again and tweaking it. It has movement. It's like workout plus breath work. It's really fucking cool. I'm so pumped to get it out to you guys. But I'm out there rehearsing it and I'm laying on the floor of the hotel room and I'm closer to the door of the hotel room rather than I always sleep. <laughs> Funny story about Ozzy. When we first started dating, we would sleep in my apartment in my room and he would sleep on the left side of the bed. Didn't think much of it. I actually think I was always sleeping on the right side of the bed anyway. So it didn't really like I didn't really care. Um, it didn't really change anything for me. And then I remember the first time we went out of town together, he slept on the opposite side of the bed. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then like every time we travel, like it seems like he was like switching sides. Sometimes it was the same side. Sometimes it wasn't the same side. Again, I don't really care what fucking side of the bed I sleep on. And I'm, I like change. I think change is a good thing. So all in all, I never thought much of it until one time we were somewhere and he was like, oh, by the way, the reason I keep changing what side of the bed I sleep on is because I sleep closest to the door. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, you know, in case there's danger, like I have to be able to protect you. And I was like, oh. I'm laughing just because he's not like the most like macho, like whatever, but he really is very protective of me in his own way. So anyway, he sleeps on the side that's closest to the door always. Now I know. So I'm far away from the door. That's kind of where all my stuff was, et cetera. So at this point, I was, you know, rehearsing that morning wind up. I'm kind of close to the door and you know where there's that like wet bar or drink station area of the hotel room where the coffee maker is and stuff like that. So there's like a little divot in the ground and my head happened to be right there and I found my other earring. It was just right there on the ground and I was oh, beyond happy. But the reason I'm telling you guys this story and the reason it really stuck out in my mind is because usually I handle losing things like that so fucking poorly. Whereas in this scenario, 
I looked for it. Like I, you know, I put in some effort, but I didn't lose my mind the way that I usually do. And I know that it's because of all of the nervous system stuff that I've been doing. I know that it's the constant, like the daily breath work, the daily practices, all of the tools in that course have really helped me get to the point where when an unexpected stressor comes up and that for me, losing something, especially my favorite fucking earrings of all time is a stressor and it was unexpected. I was able to handle it so much better than I would have in the past. And it was this moment where I was so proud of myself. So yeah, I guess I just want to tell you the story. One, to highlight how much nervous system stuff can do for you and B, to really take moments and appreciate and be proud of yourself if you two have had an area in your life where you've come really far and you've changed and you've changed for the better because we have to highlight these things. We have to remember them. Otherwise, like, what's the point, right? Uh, Okay, let's get right into the content of the day. We're going to start with... um, We're going to start with the word of the week, which is largesse. I'm just going to go ahead and look it up. Largesse definition. Um, Generosity and bestowing money or gifts upon others. In quotes, dispensing his money with such largesse or money or gifts given generously. The distribution of largesse to the local population pretty sick word. Um, You know, with word of the week, by the way, I love that you guys are loving it. This is a self-improvement podcast. And one of the ways that we can work on ourselves is by expanding our vocabulary and just sounding a little bit smarter and more interesting. And even if the word of the week is one where you're like, okay, I already knew what that meant, bitch. And that could be the case for all of them. They're probably words that you don't have in your regular vocab rotation. So I do invite you as you're listening to the word to make a mental note of it and try to use it in a sentence this week. Okay, I want to get right into the questions of the week. Um, They're so strong. Okay, question number one. I really want to start my own business and social media presence. I'm really excited about it. When I visualize my best self in my ideal life, it involves this. But I can't get over the fear of people that I know in real life laughing at me. Every time I try to get the courage to start posting, especially talking to the camera on Instagram stories, I picture people that I went to high school or college with or other people I know laughing at me and making fun of me behind my back. How do you push past the imposter syndrome? Okay. So someone actually asked me this on my Instagram because I do Q&A every Wednesday on my Instagram and I decided to save it for the podcast and then I forgot to put it in last month's Q&A. So we're going to talk about it this month. And it's such a good question and I have a lot to say and some of it you might not like, but just hear me out. Number one, if you start putting yourself out there on social media, people that you know in real life probably are going to laugh at you. Like, that's 
that's just the truth because like and you know that they are because you know that you laughed at other people you know when they started posting on social media you know that there was at some point when someone posted something to their Instagram stories and you looked at it and you were like oh my god does Mary think she's some kind of influencer now you know you've had that thought about someone before so if you start doing it people are gonna have that thought about you but guess what it's okay who gives a shit? Fuck Mary, you know? Fuck people that you know. <laughs> like literally, who cares? Okay, I want to, let me just address the imposter syndrome bit first. I, you know, we come up with this whole fancy term for it, but at the end of the day, having imposter syndrome when you're doing something new is completely normal because you are an imposter at it. And in fact, I'll take it a step further. I remember once talking to a friend about something that she was doing and she's like, but I'm not new at this. Like I've been doing this a lot. And I was like, okay, but how regularly do you do it? Because like if you give a talk once a year, then even if you've done 20 of them, you're still going to feel like a novice every time that you do it because you're not doing it that often. It's really only when you do something with regularity that you really become confident at it and and confident, confident. Oh my God. I can't speak confident. Confident. I cannot say the word. Confident. Confident. You know what? I've said it so many times now. Let's just brush past that word. Confidence comes that I'm okay with, comes from feeling fear and doing it anyway. It comes from taking action. It comes from pushing past that fear and doing things. I remember the first time that I was like talking to the camera on Instagram stories, the way that I was fucking shaking, the way that I seemed so nervous. And I even remember like I was like really trying to challenge myself. So I was like, I'm going to try to do this like every day for a week to push past this fear, which I actually think is a really great way to push past fear. And I remember I did it like once or twice. And then I was talking to a friend. I should put friend in quotes because you should not have people like this in your life. I remember talking to a friend and I was like oh I'm really trying to do this and I just like feel so scared and like I don't know how to do it and like blah blah and like am I doing okay and she's like well you know I think the influencers that do well just like really show up with a lot of confidence and you're like really really shaky and like she really made me feel like shit about myself even if everything she was saying was true and I'm sure it was true by the way I don't discount what she was saying But like she didn't need to say it. She could have just been like, oh, my God, you're doing great. It's so scary. I know. But like you're doing it. And I just like stopped and I never did it again for years. So number one, don't have people like that around you. But here's the thing. You know why she said that? Like, yes, I'm sure it was true. And I'm sure I was really shaky and whatever. But I'm sure on some level she was actually jealous because she wanted to be putting herself out there like that, but she didn't have the balls to do it. Although, are we not saying balls anymore? Because like, whatever, the implications and the insinuations, not the time, not today, Satan. <laughs> okay, I will change my vocab next week, not today. Um, But I'm sure that's where it came from, which brings me back to 
people are going to laugh at you, but you know why they're laughing deep, deep, deep down? It's because everyone wants to be an influencer. That's the truth. I want to be a fucking influencer. You know what I wouldn't give for people to pay me to just live my life? Like, yeah, it's still a job. Yeah, you're still working, but let's be real. It's a real fucking easy job relative to other jobs. I mean, if we all knew when we were in school that this was an option, I would have tried a lot less hard in school, you know, (laughs) taking a load off. Um, I would have instead worked on my social skills. (laughs) But it's the truth. We all deep down want it. It is like the holy grail of things that you could have. It gives you the attention that we all want. It gives you money. You don't have to work at a nine to five. Like we all fucking want it, you know? So we laugh at other people when they're putting themselves out there because really what we have is a little bit of bitterness. And if they succeed, then it's like, fuck, well, I could have done it and I could have succeeded. So we kind of root against them because if they don't succeed, then they're still beneath us and they're not throwing in our face how we're just too afraid to take the plunge and take the leap and do the thing. So my advice is know that people are going to laugh at you and do it anyway. And you almost use that to fuel you and use that to motivate you. Now, what I think is actually kind of, I mean, all of social media is pretty cringy, but a lot of what's cringy is that we try to emulate each other on social media because it's such a new area. No one really knows how to behave. And the truth is that humans learn by imitating. Like that's how children learn. That's how we develop. That's how we grow up. And so people on social media, you'll see like everyone kind of does the same thing. Like, do you remember a few years ago, every single influencer was selling Lightroom presets? Like it was just a thing. Even like bitches who had like never touched a camera before all of a sudden were like, buy my custom Lightroom presets. And like, mostly they looked like shit, you know, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about? So those types of things are really cringy because you're not being authentic to yourself. You're actually doing something that's so different from who you are. But so long as you're showing up authentically to yourself and don't even overthink that because you know what, in the beginning you might not be and that's okay. Just start doing it and you'll find your own voice and you'll really come into yourself. And with consistency, a lot of things come. So all I really advocate for is being really consistent. Now, two things that I think can really, really help you in this scenario. One is to kind of face your worst case scenario and the other is mental rehearsal. And I talked about both of these things in an episode I did on like hypnosis and visualization. It's from like a couple of months ago, maybe. Go check out that episode because I talk about it in more detail. But The first thing that I said was facing your worst case scenario. So ask yourself, like, what's your worst case scenario here that people you know are laughing at you, that um, you're going to put yourself out there and people are laughing at you and you're not even going to get anywhere and you're never going to make it and the business is never going to take off? Okay, that's, you know. That's that's not ideal. It's not the worst. It's not death. Like it's not cancer. It's not, you know, your loved ones dying. But yeah, no, it's it's not great. Like it feels shitty. I get it. Counterintuitive thing. You know, everyone tells you visualize success, visualize yourself making it, you know, just like daydream about your Instagram following going up, whatever. I say do the opposite. 
visualize your worst case scenario and not because if you visualize it, it's going to happen. None of that shit's going to happen. I just want you to mentally face it because once you face something, it takes the charge away from it. It takes the fear and the rumination around it away because it's already happened at this point. So you don't need to fear it anymore. So go ahead and visualize your worst case scenario and just think to yourself, okay, what then? What then? Let's say I never get past 100 followers and everyone I know in real life is sitting around just having parties, pulling up my Instagram and laughing at me showing up on Instagram stories. Okay, then what? You'll probably stop talking to those people. You'll make other friends. I don't really see any big bad takeaway here. Even if there is, once you face it, trust me, it'll take the charge away from it. So first do that. And if you want like a more structured way of doing that, if you're a Blush Academy member, if you go to the attachment styles course towards the bottom, there is an NRP, a neural rewiring practice where you can face your worst case scenario and really confront it and work through it. So I highly recommend that. And then the other thing is mental rehearsal. Now, mental rehearsal is so well studied and there are such strong results of just visualizing ourselves taking a certain action over and over and over again makes us more likely to take that action. It also makes us better. I mean, there are studies about like people visualizing themselves playing piano who then actually were better at playing piano. People who never touched a piano, people visualizing themselves working out, like doing bicep curls, were increasing muscle mass just from visualizing themselves doing it. I mean, how fucking nuts is that? So the other thing I want you to start doing on a daily basis is visualize yourself taking the steps that you need to take. Visualize yourself opening your Instagram popping over, you know, swiping left for the stories and just talking straight onto the camera. Um, Also, like make lists of things that you can talk about to the camera so that you're not like all of a sudden there and you're like, I don't I don't know what to do. But listen, in the beginning, it's going to suck. And that's fine. The early episodes of this podcast fucking suck. My early Instagram posts disgusting. My early, I mean, I want to find those first few talking stories that I did where I was like literally trembling and saying nothing. Now it's so second nature. I could talk to the camera all day on Instagram and not give a fuck. So just do it, push past it, rehearse mentally, rehearse yourself doing it, work through it in the NRPs. Oh, also there is a mental rehearsal, NRP and the attachment styles course also, and they're both also in the maintenance phase if you want it just an easier way of finding them. Um, But yeah, that's my two cents on that. Just do it. Like we're all imposters at something. And the only way you stop having imposter syndrome is by stopping an imposter. Like do it until you develop expertise. That's where confidence comes from. It's from doing things. Um, So good luck. I can't wait to see what you build. I have full faith in you. And I really think you're going to get there. Okay, next question. Hi. I finished the attachment styles course a few months ago, and I'm so happy to say that my anxious attachment is gone. I find myself showing up so differently to dating, and for the first time in my life, I'm genuinely enjoying the process instead of overthinking it, worrying, stressing, and being anxious to know where things are going. But something else has happened too. I've noticed that my sex drive has taken a nosedive. I've always had a really high sex drive, but lately it's way more mellow. Is this normal? 
yes. First of all, congratulations. This is one of those moments I was talking about, like with the earring story, where I hope you're really taking time to be really fucking proud of yourself for how far you've come, because that's really impressive. So kudos, 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 congratulations. Um, but yeah, that's really, really normal. So <sighs> this is not going to land well for some people, but hear me out. It is very, very common for people with insecure attachment to have either an unusually high or an unusually low sex drive. And that's because sex has taken on a meaning outside of just sex for people with insecure attachment. It's often a way of having control, of having other types of needs met, of protecting yourself, of covering something up. It starts to become this manipulation tool on a very subconscious level. So something that's very common with anxious attachment in particular is people with anxious attachment have a tendency to be over-sexualized sometimes. Not every single person. It's not like if you're not this, it doesn't mean that you don't have anxious attachment and um, vice versa. So, but for some people, and this is very common, I see this all the time. And I myself was this, I always really prided myself on having a really sex, high sex drive. Like I was always like, oh, no guy I've ever dated has had such a high sex drive as me. I'm always the one pushing for sex. Like I just thought it like, I mean, I, I didn't consciously think this, but in retrospect, subconsciously on some level, I really thought it kind of made me seem like cool and like, look what a great catch I am. I mean, as a girlfriend, like I'm always down to fuck and I give really good blowjobs and like blah, blah, and I'll be crazy in the bedroom and like whatever, right? Like I took a lot of pride in these things. And moreover, I really needed sex as, and it really wasn't like sleeping around a ton or anything at all. It was, it was more so like when I was with someone and already had feelings for them, but I'd become very over-sexualized because sex was this means of feeling control over the situation. It was a means of like subconsciously, I thought that like if I could perform well sexually, then like the guy would become obsessed with me. And I just, I would feel so much uncertainty always in a connection. And so that physical intimacy would let me feel some kind of emotional intimacy, if that makes sense. And I found that once I moved to secure attachment, my sex drive really went down because it started to be less about all of these other things. It started like sex was just a way of fulfilling my physical sexual needs rather than a roundabout way of getting all of these other needs met. Like I even remember there'd be times where I'd be like, oh, like I don't even care about this. Like I'm just like horny. So I'm going to call this guy or whatever. But that wasn't the truth. Like the truth was like I was feeling such extreme uncertainty and that uncertainty is so painful. I mean, there have been studies on this. So there have basically been studies where they put people in two groups of people. One group received a shock, let's say, I don't remember what the intervals were. Let's say it was like every 10 seconds or something or every 30 seconds, whatever. Um, but every 30 seconds, let's just say, they received a shock and the shock is quite painful. The other group, every 30 seconds, 
might receive a shock, they might not receive a shock. And what they found was people by and large preferred getting the shock for sure every 30 seconds, even though it was a really painful shock, than to not know if they were going to get it or not. So basically, we prefer certain pain. <laughs> like if so long as we have that certainty, we prefer pain over uncertainty. Uncertainty is one of the most painful, difficult things for our brains to deal with. And so that uncertainty of like, is he calling me or not? Does he like me or not? Or whatever, that is so fucking painful. And so even if you are sexualizing your connection or over-sexualizing it just as a means of getting rid of that uncertainty. You're going to prefer that even though you are you know that it's, it's not even real and it's not even romantic. Does all that make sense? So basically, the way the anxiously attached brain uses sex is as a tool for overcoming uncertainty, for overcoming pain, for, you know, for forging a type of connection, even if it's not the type of connection that you want. And the thing is, all of these things are happening subconsciously. They're happening below our line of perception. And um, once you move to secure, you don't find the need for that anymore. So all of a sudden, your sex drive just kind of normalizes to what your body actually sexually needs, which let's be real, after the age of like 17 isn't that much anymore, you know, like it kind of dwindles and that's normal because we're not as fertile as we used to be. So that's the truth. Yeah, like my sex drive is completely different now, but I just know every single time I meet someone, especially not to gender stereotype, but women who are like, I have such a high sex drive, blah, blah, there's something emotional beneath it every single time without fail. So yeah, congrats. You're doing great. Okay, question number three. My dad passed away unexpectedly yesterday. Any advice for regulating your nervous system while navigating grief? Okay, first of all, I just want to say I am so, so sorry. Like, I can't even imagine. Like, I remember hearing someone say this. Actually, I think it was Sarah Silverman said this to someone or something. I don't know. She, like her mom passed away. And it always stuck with me because I would imagine that it's very true. I am privileged enough to have not lost a parent, so I can't speak to it firsthand. But she said that there are two types of people in the world people who have lost a parent and people who have not lost a parent. And if you've never lost a parent, you will never understand the pain that someone who's lost a parent has gone through. And I'm sure that that's true. So I like there honestly are no words like it's I think losing a child is probably the hardest thing in the world. Losing a parent slash sibling, depending on how close you are and dynamics, et cetera, is the second. So I'm so, so sorry. And for it to be unexpected hurts so much more. So yeah, I just, I really want to make it clear that I'm so sorry. So sorry. Um, I did want to talk about this on here though, because even if you haven't lost a parent, I think everyone can relate to the feeling of grief and like extreme shocking grief where all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, that like punch in a gut, like how do I even go on with a life kind of feeling? And so there are things that you can do. But one thing I just want to say, when you experience extreme, extreme, extreme grief like that, 
in the beginning, I think it's fine for you to do whatever you need to do to survive. Now, in the very beginning, eventually you're going to have to start doing things to really tend to yourself and your body or things could get really out of hand. I mean, this is like how people develop like serious drug problems because they're just doing what they need to do to survive. So like don't carry it on for forever. But in the beginning, if like just do what you need to do. So if that means like overeating on comfort food, if it means eating tubs of ice cream, if it means like scrolling a lot and disassociating and numbing, whatever you need to do those first few days just to survive, do them. That's fine. Eventually you're going to have to make some changes. But here are things that are actually like really nourishing and comforting in the face of extreme grief. Um, First off, like a lot of really warm foods, like warm, grounding, nourishing. So think like richer carbs, starches, potatoes, bread, crackers, even a lot of soups, I think are really great during this time. Curries, um, a lot of things with beans, legumes are really, really grounding. Plus the fiber is really good for, um, it's really good for eliminating, like not just like poop, but also like toxins. It like binds with toxins and helps you pass it. And a more on an emotional level, like that release also brings with it an emotional release. And then to bring it like full scientific again, if your guts are moving well, that's where you're building more serotonin. So it's really, really important to stay regular during these times of grief. Um, Other things that just feel nourishing, like warm, like just being really, really warm, Um, you know, really cocooned inside of sweaters with blankets, having your body wrapped a lot feels really great. Sauna, steam rooms, if you have access, Um, warm bath with like nice salts, Um, a lot of like physical touch. Like if you're around other people, like co-regulation is so important during this time, hugging each other, touching each other. Even if you're alone, like literally hugging yourself, like really the arm on arm or put like your left arm under your right, like in your right armpit, essentially like wrap it around your side if you can reach and then bring the other arm over top. So you're like hugging yourself as snugly as possible. A lot of butterfly tapping where you have each hand on the opposite shoulder and alternating sides tapping, things like that are really great. Um, a lot of, um, like parasympathetic type of breathing. So if you're in the nervous system course, I would look at um, the reactive tools for anxiety and overthinking. Those types of tools are really, really great. Anything that's pulling you into your present moment is going to be really, really helpful. Um, With grief, it's important to remember the stages of grief, which are very, very real, but also remember that you're not going to go through the stages of grief in a linear fashion. So it's very normal to just bounce around, right? What are they like? Denial, anger, sadness, bargaining, acceptance, something like that, maybe not in that order. So it's very normal to just bounce around a lot. Like you might go from denial to bargaining to anger, back to denial, um, you know, teeter at acceptance for a minute, go back to denial, you know, go to sadness, go to anger. Like these are all very, very normal things. So um, also if you're in the Blush Academy, look at the breakup course because we talk a lot about the stages of grief and what to do in each 
specific stage of grief. Um, yeah, just know that it's not going to happen in a linear fashion. You're going to bounce around a lot. And like the name of the game in the very beginning really is just survival. And then once you get to the point where you can survive it, that's when I would say like once you're kind of regulated, you're grounding yourself enough, like spend time in nature, um, really like connect with nature, force yourself to be very present. So like do a lot of object deep dives while you're out in nature, pick an object and describe it as fully as you can, things like that. Um, but once you are at a point where you are surviving, okay, that's when you really should be facing the grief. So in the beginning, like I said, I think it's fine if you're numbing and distracting yourself from it, but at some point you're going to have to face it. And I think for something like this, it's so important to spend time with the rest of the family and to really talk about, you know, the person that you lost. Like there is a reason why every single culture has some kind of ritual around death. And actually, when we look at animals, most animal species have some kind of ritual around death too. It's really the only way that we can make any sort of sense of it. So it's really, really important to partake in these things and to talk and to tell the stories, tell your favorite stories about them and your last memories and things like that because it really helps you process. But, you know, in the meantime, just think anything that you would like on a cold, rainy fall day, like warm socks, lots of blankets, pumpkin soup, warming spices, things like that are really great for just nourishing you and regulating your nervous system in a time of extreme grief. I'm sending you so much love. I'm so sorry. And um, I hope that maybe listening to this podcast can be a momentary distraction and just, just a little bit of relief in what is otherwise going to feel like a very suffocating time. Um, yeah, sending you lots of love. Um, there's really no good way to transition from this. We're going to go to the next question. This will sound like an unhinged question, but how do you make new friends and what are appropriate topics to talk about when you're meeting and talking to someone new? I just want to say not an unhinged question at all. Hold on. Let me finish reading it. I find myself in a place in life now in which I'm friends with a lot of people I've known since childhood and others that I've met at work and relationships have grown to outside of work activities. I'm interested in making new friends and meeting new people, but I don't know how to have a basic level of conversation without jumping into super deep topics right away. I don't want to get too deep, too fast, or trauma bond, but sometimes small talk is super boring to me. How do I have appropriate conversations for the level of knowing people and build from there? Um, Okay, this is such a good question and a question that honestly most people have. And it's really, really hard to make friends as an adult. Like that's the truth. Like in school, like when we were kids, we kind of had it made for us in school. And then if you are lucky enough to have an in-person job in an environment that you like with people your age-ish, that's also a great place to make friends. And the reason that these are good places to make friends is that we really build relationships via proximity and via consistency. So school and work both 
both work for those things because there are situations where you're in close proximity to the same people over and over and over and over again. So usually you weren't making friends like day one of school or day one of work. You were making these friends over time because you keep seeing them over and over and over again. So it's like, well, let's just be fucking friends, right? That's how it goes down. And We live in a society that's really devoid of what they call third places. Like it used to be where, you know, after work and after school, there were places that people would go to. Like think of all our old TV shows that we'd watch, like Cheers. That was the bar, right? Cheers was the bar, I think. I don't know. I'm like a little too young for Friends. There was Central Perk. Seinfeld, there was um, that diner they went to all the time, right? Um how I Met Your Mother, there was that bar, McLaren's or whatever that they went to all the time. Like all of these TV shows have a third place where people were hanging out a lot. It wasn't the home and it wasn't work or school or whatever. Like um, uh, Saved by the Bell, they had, what was it, Max's or something or the Peach Pit or something. You know, you know what I mean? Everywhere had a spot that they were hanging out. And this is like a very important thing in human development. There were town squares that people would go to. There were places that people would go to. And more and more, we're living in a society that's devoid of these things. And on top of that, so many of us work from home now. So we don't even have the work situation anymore. And it's it's become really hard to meet people. So I'm going to address the meeting people first, and then I'm going to address the um, conversation part next. So for the meeting people thing, you want to kind of recreate a third place and pick something that you're interested in that you can go to very, very regularly to the same place. So like maybe if you've ever been interested in yoga Join a yoga studio and challenge yourself for a month to go every single day. I guarantee you, you'll make friends. But if you're not interested in yoga, then don't do that because you're not going to want to make friends with the type of people who go to yoga. You know, maybe it's a Pilates studio. Maybe it's a small gym. Maybe it's an art class or a Italian language class or an art history class or, um, I can't really think of other classes. <laughs> Maybe ceramics, like a ceramic studio or um, ooh, a really great one somewhere I've made a lot of friends back in the day, dog parks. If you have a dog, start going to the same dog park. You know why we would make friends? Because we were there three times a day. So it wasn't time one, time two, time three, but it was like, okay, it's my 15th time seeing this person and saying, hi, let's get a little deeper. Maybe you want to actually hang out, you know? Um, let me see. I made an, I made a little list. So let me just make sure I'm not missing anything. Um, a coffee shop even like, let's say like there could be one specific coffee shop that you could start going to every single day or like three to five times a week. You're going to meet other people who are going there all the time. I, for example, go to the farmer's market every single Wednesday, pretty much without fail. I'm now pretty close with a lot of people from the farmer's market because I'm there so frequently and I see them all the time and they get to know me. So it really, for making friends, the formula truly is consistency plus proximity eventually equals friendship, you know, plus time is going to equal friendship. So that's kind of the easiest, biggest way. Um, 
I've never personally used this, but I wouldn't sleep on Bumble BFF and those other forms of like like the dating apps for friendships. I've never tried them, but I do think it's worth trying. So there is that. The other way that I've made friends a lot as an adult is through online communities. So specifically for me, I follow um, To Be Magnetic, which is a brand about manifestation. I've been following them since um, beginning of 2019. And there were a couple of Facebook groups at the time. There was a big one. And then there was a New York City little Facebook group for To Be Magnetic. I've made so many of my friends through the New York City To Be Magnetic group. Like I'd say like most of my really close friends that I've made in the past five years have been, or four years, I should say, four and a half years, whatever, have been through the To Be Magnetic Facebook group. Um, And then there was one other thing I wrote down. Hold on. Oh, leveraging people that you know. So that really requires, like, once you have one friend, it's a lot easier to make more friends just via their friends. So that's something, like, even um, thinking about, like one of my favorite people that I've met in the past year is the girlfriend of one of Ozzy's coworkers. So just keep in mind, once you have one friend that you know, you kind of have an opening to an unlimited number of more friends. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the formula for making friends. Now, as far as how to talk to them, I actually really understand your question. And it's a very real thing. Like I too fucking hate small talk. Like you really could not like pay me to engage in small talk. Like it's just not my vibe. I get bored. I don't want to talk about the weather. I don't want to talk about dumb shit. Like I'm just not, I talk so much already. Like I don't want to fucking do it. Like I don't want to have the same conversation I've had over and over and over again. But then on the other side, especially if you're someone who's like prone to anxious attachment and codependency is this very real thing of like oversharing and emotionally dumping and trauma bonding and just like getting in appropriately deep too early on. And I think there's a really good solution here that actually takes a lot of the weight off of you. And that is to really focus on asking questions and kind of in your head, have this in your mind. Imagine that you're in the third grade and you have to do a report on this person for show and tell. So you want to be asking so many questions that you can do a thorough, great report at a third grade level. Now, I say third grade because we want to get deeper than like the first grade. It's not going to be like, this is Sally. Sally is seven. Sally's favorite color is pink. And Sally lives on Billiard Boulevard. (laughs) You know, we're getting a little bit deeper than that. But like, I also didn't say you're writing a biography on this person. It's not like their memoir, you know, like you don't need to get you don't need to talk about like their childhood traumas and like, um, you know, every like me too infraction that this person has ever faced. Like we don't need to get that deep up either. So I would start with like your surrounding circumstances. Let's say like you meet someone at a coffee shop, you start talking over something surface, like they order something and you're like, oh, how is that drink? I've been curious about it. And they're like, oh my God, I love it, blah, blah. Start with the surrounding circumstances. Do you come here often? Like, is this, oh, like, 
what other coffee shops do you like? What's your go-to drink? You know, blah, blah, blah. Like what, like how long have you lived in the area? You know, shit like shit like that. And as they answer, keep asking more questions based on their answers and really just focus on being able to get to know them enough that you could do like a 20 minute presentation in show and tell about them that is appropriate for a third grader. So, you know, it probably wouldn't involve like the types of assault that they faced and like whether their dad was a screamer or not, you know, but it would get a little bit deeper than their favorite color and like what the weather is like. Does that make sense? So I think that's kind of the perfect way to approach it. Like really just think about asking other people questions and getting to know them. And that way you can also go based on how they're answering. And that'll really keep you reined in so that you're not like creating this thing. Plus, because you're going to be so focused on them, it's not really going to give you an opening to be oversharing and trauma bonding and things like that. So just like resist the urge with anything that they say to be like, oh, yeah, me too, blah, 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 blah. And like then dump your own shit on them. Instead, like really think of it as like you're trying to create a report about them. And it's going to make you the most popular person in the room because what people love more than anything else is to talk about themselves. So. Good little trick here. It's one that I use never, so <laughs> but I'd be a lot more popular if I did use it. Uh, okay, next question. What attachment styles course did you take? Okay, I got this question like 650 times the past week on my Instagram because I was on the expanded podcast. So I took a course that was more educational. It wasn't like on how to actually work through your attachment style. It was more like educational. So I learned more how to like address attachment theory from a practitioner's point, point of view. Um, I don't think the course even exists anymore, to be completely honest with you. But regardless, like I said, it wasn't really helpful in terms of like actually how to move to secure attachment. It just taught me a lot about attachment theory, which I then combined with things that I knew about trauma, trauma release, you know, trauma therapy, um, hypnosis, those sorts of things. And then I made my own attachment styles course, which you can find in the Blush Academy and the link is in the show notes. Okay. Do you have any advice for manifesting your partner? <laughs> boy, oh boy, do I ever. Um, how are we on time though? Let me just check real quick because I might punt this question to next week if we're really low on time because I the answer is going to take a while. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to leave this question for next week because I want to give a really thorough answer without making this uh, episode way too long. So you know what? Maybe I'll wrap it up here and leave all of the remaining questions for next week because there's stuff on abandonment wounds, there's stuff on manifesting your partner, there's more stuff. You know what? I'll just address this because it's topical. Hey girl, hey, would love to hear more about your TBM journey. Be my mentor. You're so cute. Okay. So in 2019, 
my ex and I broke up. I call him the comedian. It was actually January 1st of 2019 that we broke up and I was distraught. I was besides myself. Like I literally felt like I couldn't breathe, think, do anything. Like all I could think about, all I was fixated on was him and wanting to get him back. And I mean, I was willing to do like all sorts of dark magic, whatever the fuck it took to bring him back. And, you know, I was newly living in New York. I had no friends. I just had nothing to occupy my time. I was kind of in between jobs. I just had nothing to fill my time, no distractions, like nothing to take away from the pain. And I remember I'd listen to a lot of podcasts, especially on the weekends. I would just go for like a four hour long walk and just like listen to podcasts. And it was the winter and it was dreary and it was cold and it was just the worst time. And I remember I came across human design. And so I was really intrigued by human design, which is kind of analogous to astrology. If you don't know what it is, uh, this isn't the time. We can talk about it later. And I was listening to a lot of Jenna Zoe stuff. And then Jenna Zoe did like a podcast episode or something with Lacey Phillips. And so I started listening to Lacey and something happened when I first heard Lacey where something clicked and I was like, what she's saying is right. Like this hits. Like I know that she's right. Like this isn't like other fluffy woo woo, like visualize this, do that. You know, it wasn't like, oh, uh, deconditioning and unconditioning and what serves you and just all these like flowery words and languages and this, like it just, it hit for me. Like I knew it was right. And so I, I listened to another episode of hers while I was out and it was like a Q&A episode and I barely knew what she was talking about because I wasn't familiar. But as soon as I got home, I signed up for the courses and I started doing them and I just became obsessed and I just knew in my soul, I was like, this is right. This is correct. Like this is the truth. It just clicked so hard for me. And one of the things that became really apparent to me, one of the things that she would talk about in her like manifestation formula that's very unique to hers is like she says, once you, you know, cast like, let's say you want something, you want to manifest a partner or whatever. So you will get that partner, not from like visualizing or thinking positive or anything like that. It's from subconsciously thinking that you deserve this thing, that you're good enough for this thing, that you're worthy of this thing. Once your subconscious mind is there, it's there, but like nothing on the conscious plane is going to change it. And the way to get your subconscious mind there is to work through anything that's blocking it. So work through any unresolved trauma and things like that, that could be standing in the way. And one thing that happens throughout that process is that you'll face tests. So in the dating situation, it might be like people that you date that like aren't actually what you're looking for, but you tend to settle for them. And one thing that became really apparent to me was how much I was settling for tests and not passing tests. Again, this is all like lacy to be magnetic lingo that I'm um, regurgitating here. None of it is like my own language or my own thoughts. But I was realizing how much I wasn't passing tests because I had such severe anxious attachment that I was constantly settling for these guys that I wasn't even that into or who I knew weren't good enough for me or whatever just to like have someone because I didn't know if I was ever going to meet anyone better. And um, yeah, it just like really changed my whole thought process and it made me get out of law. It made me like everything in my life changed. And so, yeah, I've been on the podcast twice now. My first time I really talked about like 
my career and accepting that I wasn't going to be a lawyer and I was going to be an entrepreneur and do my own thing. And at the time I was pursuing an herb business. Um, this was recorded pre-COVID and then in COVID, just like with um, supply chain issues, I kind of let that go. And then I started the podcast and then I found my person. And so, yeah, I was recently back on the podcast and um, talked about all of that stuff. So yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Like, I really will say Chibi Magnetic saved my life. It changed my life. Like, so much of what I have in my life now is because of that work. And it's hugely influenced me. It's hugely influenced the Blush Academy, even though, you know, Blush and Blush Academy literally has nothing to do with manifestation at all or really like is woo woo in any way at all. But a lot of the principles like the hypnosis, things like that. I've been introduced to or at least um, expanded through to be magnetic. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. But if you had more specific questions, let me know because I can get deeper. I'm going to wrap it up here and do the grateful. So if it's your first time listening, I like to end every episode by listing three new things that I'm grateful for this week. The reason that I do that is because the process of scanning and looking for new things that you're grateful for, so you're not repeating yourself, actually strengthens the part of your brain that looks for the good good in life. And it's clinically proven to make you a happier, more optimistic person, to make you, um, it makes you perform better at your job and just like be a more pleasant person to be around. So I really invite you as you're listening to also list three new things that you're grateful for either this week or just today. The only key is to just make sure they're new things that you've never said before. Okay. I am grateful that I bought these pants. I completely forgot about them and um, they were at the tailors for a while, like at the tailor, like the you know, tailor to get them hemmed because they were a little long and they're fucking perfect. They're kind of sheer. They're light. They're comfortable. Like I'm really obsessed with them. Um, I am grateful. Um, oh, I'm grateful that Ozzy's home <laughs> so that he is kind of keeping an eye on Sam and she isn't breaking down the door and the whole episode isn't revolving around her this time. And I am grateful that I have so many fruits and vegetables sitting in the kitchen waiting for me. I'm going to do some recipe testing today and I have some fun ideas and yeah, it's just, it's going to, there's some great stuff coming up on my Instagram and you know what, a close I want to do like a three and a half or a four. I'm really fucking grateful for the nervous system course. I have so much on my plate right now and I'm handling it so much better than I would have historically. And anytime I like start to feel a little like overwhelmed or stressed, I'm like, that's okay. I have the tools to know exactly what to do and to really strengthen my nervous system so I can deal with more. And it's It's really cool because it's given me this tool where no matter what happens, I know I can face it. And even if I can't face it today, that I know that I can get myself strong enough to face it. So yeah, I'm really, really grateful for the nervous system course. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up here. The questions that I didn't get to today, we're going to touch on next month in the Q&A. And in the meantime, if there are any topics or other things that you want to hear me talk about, please don't hesitate to reach out and say what they are. Um, Okay. Love you guys. We will talk next.